Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into the December scavenger hunt preview in today's episode. What's this? What's this? It's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. What is this? A whole new world. What is this? I know it has been quite some time since I've done a scavenger hunt episode, but I'm back, I guess. Uh, I have the time and can devote the slots to enough movies that I think I can successfully pull this one off. And this will be the first uh, scavenger hunt episode that I've recorded, preview at least, uh, that didn't get released the first of the month that it was supposed to be for. Uh, Apologies as far as that's concerned. There were uh, more pressing episodes that I wanted to put out, and uh, those particular episodes, I I wasn't sure how long they would be. Some of them I was already mostly finished with at the time, at the beginning of the month. Uh, It did take me some time to determine that I was going to do this scavenger hunt for December, so... I'm getting this out a little late, uh, I know, but it will still be effective, and I will seek to cap off the year and the month of December with a scavenger hunt review. Uh, Like I mentioned before, I don't know which episode it was, uh, regarding the July scavenger hunt that I did with Catherine, I would hope to be able to finish that relatively soon i don't i don't know if that's going to be possible you know we've seen all the movies we just got to record the episode and it's about finding time she has a very busy schedule uh which is partly why it took us so long to finish the movies and now is you know preventing us from recording the episode in a timely manner Uh, i i do intend to have that done by the end of the month but there's a chance that doesn't happen and if it doesn't i apologize but we're working on it so stay tuned That being said, let us move in to the bulk of today's episode, which is December Scavenger Hunt, which is Scavenger Hunt number 33, uh, and it is a Community Picks Scavenger Hunt. This is the second Community Picks Scavenger Hunt. I did the first one, uh, which I don't remember when the first one was. I think it was last summer, I think, and so we're we're back to it you know somebody dropped out who was going to host and so now we don't really have a host we just have you know uh the um, uh, a list of tasks that had been submitted by various users and that's kind of what we're dealing with so uh like usual and it seems like it's been so long since i've done an episode on this Uh, But I'll just kind of go through the tasks, the movies. I'll definitely make sure to reference uh, who submitted the task, when applicable, and kind of go from there. So, starting off, uh, scavenger hunt list is posted by Jesus H. Macy, uh, user user Jesus H. Macy on Letterboxd, uh, who goes by the name of Wood, and... Uh, you know, he, he outlines the early, at the beginning of the post that they received a lot of submissions, over 100 individual tasks. Uh, he did his best to try to re- pick tasks that hadn't been done before in past scavenger hunts. 
and also represented you know the diversity of taste uh, in the community. Uh, I think he succeeded to a, a large, uh, significant degree. I wouldn't say all of these tasks seem new, uh, particularly the formatting of some of them, but I, I don't remember doing any of the exact same tasks that I'm reading or will go, I'm going to read. So I'm, I'm fully supportive of this scavenger hunt. So let's see what we got. Task number one, a non-Monty Python film written by one of the Monty Pythons. Uh, submitted by user Angel Monkey, and that was a tricky one. I've, uh, you know, you've got John Cleese and, and Michael Palin, uh, as well as um, I don't know the others. I, I don't know their names offhand. Eric Idle, etc. And they've written a lot of good movies, um, many of which I've seen. Uh, that uh, you know, many of which are Monty Python movies, but many of which I've also seen. And so that was kind of tough to find one I was completely unfamiliar with and ultimately I found one that is written by Cleese uh, as well as Ian Johnstone and William Goldman and that is 1997's Fierce Creatures directed by Fred Shapisi and Robert Young it stars John Cleese, Jamie Lee Curtis, Kevin Klein, Michael Palin among others and uh, it has to do with a zoo and an ex-policeman, uh, played by John Cleese, being sent to a zoo uh, to try to keep it open amidst failing financial difficulties. Uh, I don't really know much more than that. Uh, I've like glancing through the comment com uh, reviews. Uh, I've heard I've, people have uh, related it to a fish called Wanda. Uh, not necessarily the reviewers claiming that it's as good as that, but that the film itself was compared to Fish Called Wanda. Uh, Kevin Klein's presence is probably part of that, as well as John Cleese, but uh, it doesn't have quite as high a reputation. Uh, it only has a 2.9 average rating, so I kind of expect mild chuckles, but nothing that's gonna knock me out like Fish Called Wanda did. I thought it was Fish Called Wanda was hilarious, um, but this this is probably more tame. I do, however, appreciate in the cover image on Letterboxd that uh, it has the four main actors as well as a lemur <laughs> perched on John Cleese's shoulder. Lemurs are my second favorite animal. I think they're adorable and they're so cute the way they leap around. And I'm so jealous that he got to play with a lemur. That seems awesome. So that's Fierce Creatures, task number one. Task number two a Latin American horror film submitted by user Lucho Solo. Uh, this was not as difficult, definitely. There are quite a few Latin American horror films. Uh, it was more a matter of finding one that I wanted to see. Uh, I, I kind of was looking for... I, I first tried to find one that was like maybe nominated for a foreign language film. Uh, Oscar at some point. I didn't succeed there. Uh, I was looking for recognizable names. Uh, I didn't. Uh, I ended up kind of stumbling onto a film that has decent reviews and, and has a pretty significantly high rating on Letterboxd and uh, I've, I've heard of and heard good things about. So I ended up on 1977's Alucarda, which I may not be pronouncing correctly. Uh, directed by Juan Lopez Moctezuma, 
who is I've never seen a film from before, uh, starring Tina Romero, Claudio Brook, Susanna Camini, and David Silva, among others. Those are names I don't recognize. And the general plot synopsis uh, is that a young girl arrives at a convent when her parents die uh, that begins this kind of series of events that unleash an evil presence uh, on the girl and uh, her new friend known as Alicarda. So it, it summarizes things by saying demonic possession, Satan worship, and vampirism follows. So it sounds like a lot of fun. Sounds like a lot of craziness and insanity. Things that I am totally happy to open my arms to as far as a film goes. Uh, I do, I suppose I do like Latin American horror films. I don't, I mean, obviously offhand, honestly offhand, I can't think of one. So maybe I can't really say that I don't, I like them. I like Latin American movies. uh, So it would stand to reason that that would mean I would probably like their horror films as well. Uh, We'll see. Uh, It's, it's going to be interesting. Uh, most of the reviews are fairly positive, and the average center, uh, average letterbox rating is 3.4, uh, which is, bodes well. That's a pretty solid review rating. And it's fairly short. It's only 74 minutes long, so it'll move by at a quick pace, and I can uh, breeze through this one. So I'm excited for this. I don't know anything else about it. I like the poster. Very minimalist. And a la carta. Number two. Task number three is a film remade by Greg and Earl in Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, or Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. So uh, submitted by user Caleb underscore yells. Uh, so if you haven't seen Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, you should, firstly, but you could also use it to finish this task. I have seen it, so I was stuck watching a film that they remade in the movie. Uh, and you know a link is provided to kind of give you an example of some of the movies but i went to that link and it sends you to the wrong spot for me at least Uh, i don't know oh it's probably because of the parentheses that might change things i think i figured that out already too uh but there's some movies like the grapes of wrath raging bull um the prunes of wrath raging bullshit 49th parallelogram death in tennis eyes wide butt Eight, eight ATE and a half of my sandwich, Anatomy of a Burger, Pittsburgh Scotsy, uh, Senior Citizen Kane, Rear Wind, etc., etc., etc. They remake a lot of movies. They're, you can see the posters in um, Earl's room in the movie. Hilarious. There's some like The Janitor of Oz, Scab Face, The Fake Tricks, Rosemary Baby Carrots. A lot of options to choose from. I settled on a film that was remade as The Turd Man, which is The Third Man. Uh, this is a film from 1949, directed by Carol Reed. Uh, the only film of, of his I've seen prior to this is Oliver, Best Picture winner Oliver. Uh, so that's, but I don't, I don't like Oliver, so I was... So I'm, I don't know, I'm a little nervous about Third Man. However, it is one of the highest rated films on Letterboxd with a 4.3 average. And it's, you know, it's an Oscar-nominated film. It stars Joseph Cotton, Alida Valley, 
Orson Welles and Trevor Howard, among others. Orson Welles, I think, is quite good. Uh, I like him more, I think, as an actor than as a director, currently in my experience, but I, I'm open to um, renegotiating that situation. It's uh, it's it's a well-regarded film, generally considered one of the better films out there. You know, just scrolling through some of the recent reviews, five stars, five stars, four stars, five stars, four and a half, four and a half. It's, it's you know, one of those thousand and one movies you gotta see before you die. So I'm sure it'll be good. Uh, it kind of just depends. Um, it's kind of just left to be determined how good. Uh, if it will enter my top movies of all time, if it will be, you know, just another solid, you know, movie from this era. Uh, and I'm hopeful that it'll be pretty good. I I, I like Wells. I like Joseph Cotton as well. So fingers crossed. Uh, the plot is kind of like a murder mystery it seems uh where joseph cotton arrives to see one of his friends i think played by wells and finds out that wells has been killed and he is kind of trying to figure out who did it uh hence the title the third man thinking that there's some third man who committed the crime i don't know the full extent of the plot, plot synopsis but that seems to be the gist. So it's number three, uh, fittingly, The Third Man. Number four, a Christmas horror film submitted by user Addicted Numeral 2 DVD. Uh, there are tons of these. Uh, Krampus is the most recent one on in memory. I didn't see Krampus. I don't have any interest in seeing Krampus. I'm sure it'll cross my screen one at some point. But I went a different route and chose a different film than Krampus. Uh, I went with 1984's Silent Night, Deadly Night, directed by Charles E. Sellier Jr. and starring Lillian Chauvin, Gilmer McCormick, Tony Nero, among others. Don't know any of the people that are in this movie. Uh, I went through the entire list of names. None of them stuck out to me. The plot is um, a little boy witnesses his parents being murdered by a Santa, and years later, he is asked to fill in as an in-store Santa Claus, and all of those traumas come back to haunt him. I guess he becomes the murderer. That's kind of what they make it sound like. This has an average film rating of 2.9, so not terrible, but it looks terrible. I, I can't imagine this is any kind of good, uh, so I, I don't... I don't know. Like, scrolling through some of the reviews here... Three, three, three and a half, one, three and a half, one, three, four and a half, three and a half. So some of people, some people quite enjoyed it. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't feel like it's going to be my kind of thing at all. I'm not a big horror fan in general, and this doesn't really seem like the kind of horror I enjoy when I do like horror. So not very excited for this. But it's only 79 minutes, so it's not going to be that painful. <laughs> uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Number four. Number five is a task, and it is watch a Jimmy Stewart movie that's not It's a Wonderful Life or any of his collaborations with Hitchcock, submitted by user MAP755. And that's fairly easy. I'm a big fan of Jimmy Stewart, and I went with 
uh, one of the very few best picture winners I haven't seen. It's from 1938, directed by Frank Capra, and that is You Can't Take It With You, starring Gene Arthur, Lionel Barrymore, James Stewart, Edward Arnold, Misha Auer, Ann Miller, and Spring Byington, among others. Big cast, big ensemble, and big movie. Best Picture winner, among others, nominated for many other awards, winning other awards as well. And, you know, I'm... I haven't seen five Best Picture winners at this point, so this will put me down to four. And I'm I'm really looking forward to this. I love James Stewart. I think he's great. I'm a big fan of Capra. I've seen It's a Wonderful Life many times. I've seen It's a Wonderful Life, It Happened One Night, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. I, I enjoy Capra's work immensely. So... Uh, it's actually kind of strange that I haven't pu- uh, put on You Can't Take It With You until now. Uh, really no reason why I haven't. Uh, it just kind of has eluded me, in a sense. You know, it's not a Best Picture winner that people really talk about. It often gets overshadowed by the wealth of great films that came out in 1939, just one year later. And uh, we'll see. I don't know if it'll stand up to the rest of Capra's fantastic filmography that I've seen already and like there's still another 40 some odd films of his that I haven't seen beyond this so looking forward to that and looking forward to James Stewart I love James Stewart I think he's great one of my favorite actors going this has an average film rating of 3.7 on Letterboxd and it deals with uh, James Stewart and Gene Arthur who are intending to get married and their families are very different and don't get along. Perfect. That's that's it's that straightforward. So that's you can't take it with you number 5. Task number 6, a film adaptation of a John Steinbeck novel or novella submitted by Letterboxd user MKIL Kelly. This was fairly easy. Uh, this is based, movie is actually based on a book I read in grade school. Uh, I say read, but it's likely that I didn't finish it in grade school. I know I read parts of it, but I don't know that I actually finished. Um, it's another very prominent film, a big Oscar contender in its day. Uh, from 1940, directed by John Ford, is The Grapes of Wrath. And... Uh, this stars Henry Fonda, Jane Darwell, John Carradine, Charlie Grapewin, Doris Bowden, and Russell Simpson, among others. Uh, Henry Fonda, I'm a big fan. I'm very fond of Fonda. And uh, if you don't know the story of the Grapes of Wrath, it's about a family who is forced to move off of their farm and kind of just looks for work and is generally pretty unlucky in that regard. It is... Another John Ford film, uh, it is worth noting that prior to 2017, I hadn't seen a single John Ford film. I have now. Uh, this will now be number eight, which is pretty significant. Like, that's a lot. Uh, so, you know, I've seen, you know, this, this year I've seen My Darling Clementine, The Quiet Man, How Green Was My Valley, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, The Searchers, How the West Was Won and What Price Glory. I am not a big fan of John Ford, to be honest. I, I think 
I, I don't like his westerns. I particularly don't like how much of a relationship he has with John Wayne because I think John Wayne is a terrible actor. And so I'm glad John Wayne isn't in this movie and he's got a good, actually good cast in him in, in this one. So I'm hopeful that this can maybe, maybe give me a little more hope for John Ford going forward. Uh, we'll see if that's the case or not, but uh, I hope so. I do hope so. As far as the story, like, I, I kind of remember the story, what sort of, I don't think, I didn't like the book that I read in school, so I'm kind of concerned that I won't be pulled into the story in the movie, but uh, that hopefully Ford is able to present this film well enough that I can, I can really latch onto it and, and enjoy what I'm seeing. So that's The Grapes of Wrath, number six. Number seven, quite simply, is a Cary Grant film. Uh, submitted by Letterboxd user Sailor Dana E. I'm probably, or Deny. Sailor, Sailor the, the Occupation, uh, D-A-N-A-E, for clarification. So any movie with Cary Grant, I decided to pick the film that, uh, a film that he was nominated for Best Actor in, uh, which is a 1944 film directed by Clifford Odets called None But the Lonely Heart. Uh, the stars Cary Grant, Ethel Barrymore, Barry Fitzgerald, and June Duprez, among others. Um, it's got a 3.0 average on Letterboxd, so fairly average. Uh, and stars uh, Cary Grant as a cat burglar who has to return home to take care of his mother and is tempted to turn to crime in order to pay her bills, kind of, it seems, I think. And... I never heard of this movie, so uh, it doesn't, maybe it doesn't age well, maybe it didn't uh, play well after it came out, you know, maybe it's one of those, maybe it's a film that, like, didn't deserve its Oscar nominations, I'm not sure, I'm not really a big fan of Cary Grant, generally, so I'm interested to see what kind of a performance he gives when it's Oscar nominated, uh, we'll see about that, meanwhile, uh, the plot seems very thin, as well, so I don't know really what there is to to latch onto here. Uh, I'm I don't know. This is one I, I really don't have any clue about. I don't think I'm gonna like it, but I uh, I don't know. I don't have any reason to think I will like it. So I guess that's more where I'm at. I think, yeah. None but the lonely heart. Number seven. Task number eight. Watch a Christmas movie from another country. Uh, submitted by Letterboxd user ChristianAlec94. Christmas movies are definitely a theme, and uh, with good reason, it's December. So I looked through um, some a couple of lists I found online with like prominent uh, films that like were from outside of the United States and about Christmas and took place during Christmas and. Uh, and I think I ultimately found a letterboxed list that also kind of tried to do the same thing. And I ended up stumbling on a film uh, directed by Wong Kar Wai from 2004. Now, Wong Kar Wai, I've seen five, uh, five films of his already, uh, from, including, including a short film that he did uh, called The Follow. And those movies are My Blueberry Nights, 
The Grand Master, Chungking Express, and In the Mood for Love, some well, quite well-regarded movies. This one is from 2004 and is 2046, Blade Runner on the Mind. This, uh, the film is titled 2046, uh, and it is the sequel to In the Mood for Love. Uh, In the Mood for Love is a film I think is fantastic, and I am really excited to dive into a sequel. Uh, I, I don't know that I really even knew there was a sequel until I pulled this up to add it to my list. Uh, starring Tony Leung Chi Tony Leung Chi Wai, I think, uh, Zhang Zi, Fei Wang, and Takuya Kimura, among others. Pronunciation problems. Uh, it has a 3.8 average rating on Letterboxd, so fairly high, and I'm I'm excited for that. And I don't know. I mean, I really liked In the Mood for Love, and I don't know. This is this feels like a I don't know, this kind of, I get Godfather vibes from this this kind of movie. It's a sequel to a really, really successful movie. Uh, it is generally well regarded, but, in, you know, in, for me, like, I think Godfather is incredible. I think Godfather Part Two is great, but not incredible. So I kind of go into this with ex- expectations that it won't be as good as In the Mood for Love, but it will still be quite good, by, you know, in general. So that's my expectations, uh, and and I, I don't know. I hope I really like it. I've generally enjoyed Wong Kar Wai. Uh, I, I think that uh, both In the Mood for Love and Chunking Express are very good. I appreciated Grand Master, uh, while whereas Blue, My Blueberry Nights, I, I was kind of that uh, didn't affect me at all. So hopefully, twenty forty six can follow in the line of In the Mood for Love and. Get another, get another good movie out of this. Let's do it. 2046, number eight. Number nine, task number nine is watch a movie starring Sigourney Weaver that is not science fiction. Submitted by Letterboxd user TJ Dempsey 10. There are, I don't know, quite a few movies that she's in that aren't sci-fi. Uh, not as many as I thought, however, you know, Wally, Alien, Aliens, Cabin in the Woods, Avatar, Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters, Chappie, Alien 3, uh, you know, Galaxy Quest, Paul. It's a lot of sci-fi stuff. But she has done other movies. Uh, you know, it's not unlike her to jump into the normal realm of film. Uh, the Ice Storm uh, I guess you could include Exodus, Gods and Kings, Holes, The, Sh- the Village, uh, The Meyerowitz Stories, recently. I don't think I'd put a Monster Calls in sci-fi territory either. Annie Hall, briefly. So, definitely, you know, films that satisfy this. I went with a movie in which uh, she was, I believe, nominated for an Oscar for this performance. Let me see... Um, yes, she was nominated for her performance in 1988's Working Girl, directed by Mike Nichols, who I've seen The Graduate, uh, The Birdcage, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, Charlie Wilson's War, Postcards from the Edge, and Silkwood. Uh, so this is hardly new territory for me in with Mike Nichols. 
And I would say on the whole, I generally like his films. I think he's a good director. Uh, this film stars Harrison Ford, Melanie Griffith, Sigourney Weaver, Alec Baldwin, Joan Cusack, among others. Uh, I like Sigourney Weaver. I like Harrison Ford. I like Alec Baldwin. I like Joan Cusack a lot. Uh, don't, not super uh, familiar with Melanie Griffith. I, I've seen a handful of her films, but nothing that big. Uh, so I, I'm not, I think the only real main film of hers I've seen is like The Bonfire of the Vanities, which I hated. Uh, and I don't remember it very well, so yeah, I, don't, I don't know. She's nominated for her performance in this, so maybe. Maybe it's uh, worthwhile. We'll see. But it's marketed, at least, as feminist. A uh, feminist film. It's a woman taking over. Uh, it seems like Melanie Griffith takes over Sigourney Weaver's job when Sigourney Weaver gets hurt. And that's it. Obviously, stuff will come back to bite her in the butt later on, but um, yeah, maybe she'll make some, make some, do some real good, get some changes going. Has an average rating of 3.3. I'm pretty ambivalent about this film, all told. Uh, it's, it's biggest appeal is the fact that it was nominated for, I think, six Oscars and it won original song, so it's got some pedigree. And I'll see if it really lives up to the acclaim. So that's Working Girl, number nine. Number ten, task number ten. A movie adapted from a short story. Submitted by Letterboxd user Peter Hildebrand. And, I mean, there's a lot of them. I, I instinctively went with a, looked up uh, Stephen King, wanted to watch another Stephen King film adaptation and the one that I found uh, was 1998's Apt Pupil directed by Brian Singer who has recently been in the news for less than good things uh, he was just recently kicked off the Bohemian Rhapsody film in which he was which he was directing starring Rami, Rami Malek uh, but this is from 20 almost 20 years ago now Starring Ian McKellen, Brad Renfro, David Schwimmer, and Bruce Davison, among others. Uh, it's about uh, a boy, Todd Bowden, who discovers that there's an old man living on his block that is a Nazi war criminal. And uh, enter drama. So, has a 3.1 average rating. So, average, I guess. And I think uh, it's it's... I don't know, I've never heard of it until this, so it doesn't really, didn't really leave a big of a mark on people when it came out, I guess. And, you know, Brian Singer is, I don't know, I don't think he's great. Uh, I think he directed some of the better X-Men movies, but also Apocalypse, which is awful, I thought Superman Returns was fine, and I think Usual Suspects, I think Usual Suspects is great. So I will go to bat for Usual Suspects, um, but it's it's uh, it's not it's an anomaly. It's not the pattern of his films. So I don't know how I'm gonna feel about this apt pupil. Uh, you know, you got Ian McKellen playing a Nazi war, war criminal. 
So that in and of itself is compelling. I just, I don't know. I, I, I think David Schwimmer's a pretty terrible actor if he's not playing Ross. So that gives me pause. That makes me reconsider things. But, I mean, I'm stuck with it now. So I'm going to watch Apt Pupil. And I'm not super excited about it. So that's number 10 from this month. Number 11, watch any version of A Christmas Carol, submitted by Letterboxd user B Doze, D-O-Z-E. Uh, there's hundreds of thousands of them, and there will be even there will even be more on this list list itself uh, after this task. Uh, but I went with the most popular Letterboxd film based on A Christmas Carol that I hadn't seen, I think, uh, which is from 2009, directed by Robert Zemeckis, um, just simply titled A Christmas Carol. Uh, starring the voice talents of Gary Oldman, Jim Carrey, Colin Firth, and Daryl Sabara, among others. It comes from Robert Zemeckis, who gave us such classics as the Back to the Future trilogy, Forrest Gump, Castaway, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Flight, Contact, Allied, The Walk, The Polar Express, Death Becomes Her, and Beowulf. Now, Beowulf came out in 2007, and The Polar Express came out in 2004. These were kind of the precursors to Christmas Carol. It uses a very similar animation style and uh, motion capture, and, and it it sucks because I think Beowulf is terrible, and I think Polar Express is fine. Uh, you know, Polar Express benefits from having Tom Hanks and, and Michael Jeter uh, in, in the main, as like some of the main characters. You know, you have Tom Hanks playing like 10 different roles in that movie. Uh, Jim Carrey is a great voice actor, I think, so I'm excited from that aspect of it, but I just, I really don't like this animation style at all. I think it's really bad and tough to watch. It, in my opinion, makes films look bad, even by standards then, uh, so I'm, I'm really not looking forward to watching this at all. Uh, on the other hand, it does star some big names. Robin Wright, Bob Hoskins, Carrie Elwes are also in this movie. Uh, and and those are pretty significant names. Uh, Leslie Manville, who is in Phantom Thread, which comes out in a couple of weeks. Uh, so so getting some of these new people, so getting, you know, adding their this data to the spreadsheet, I'm all for. But at what cost? I mean, at what cost? So I'm hoping that the, the animation style lends itself to doing something interesting and unique with the story, but I'm not holding my breath in that sense. So that's A Christmas Carol from Robert Zemeckis, number 11. Task number 12. The legendary Takashi Miike has directed 100 films. Watch one of them. Uh, no uh, letterboxed user is attached to this task. And so... What I did was I pulled up Takashi Miike's list of movies that he's made and picked out one of the more popular ones that he's made, one of the more liked, and also a movie that came out this year. And that is 2017's Blade of the Immortal. Uh, starring Takuya Kimura, Hana Sugisaki, and Sota Fukushi, among others, this is my fourth uh, Takashi Miike film. 
uh, going hand in hand with Itchy the Killer, 13 Assassins, and Audition, none of which I'm really a big fan of. So I didn't have high expectations. I'm not really a big Takashi Miike fan. And it's kind of a long movie as well. I think it's interesting. Uh, it's about a samurai who has this amazing fight and ends up becoming cursed to be immortal at the end of it. Uh, and then proceeds to do things after that. And as interesting as immortality can be in a movie, when your main character just fights a lot and we know he can't die, it really you know, drags down the expectations and the hype and the tension and the stakes that the movie has. So that's kind of a concern. But to be fair, Takashi Miike's action sequences are usually pretty spectacular. Very bloody, very over-the-top, very uh, I don't know, stylish. And depending on how uh, deliberate, depending on how judicious he is with his allotment of action sequences, uh, this, this could be a nice little movie. So... It's got a 3.5, so it's fairly highly rated on Letterboxd. But, as I mentioned, I'm generally a little lower on Mike than most people, so that leads me to believe it'll be average at best overall. So that's kind of where my expectations sit. And that's Blade of the Immortal, number 12. Number 13, watch a Rankin and Bass holiday TV movie slash special. Submitted by Letterboxd user Christian Alec94. I love Rankin and Bass. I think they're great. And I remember watching a lot of their movies when I was little. And I've seen most of them. You know, The Year Without a Santa Claus, Frosty the Snowman, Frosty Returns, uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. You know, I watched his version of The Hobbit, or their, ver their version of The Hobbit. Um, I watched a movie, Mad Monster Party, for a previous scavenger hunt. And... There are a lot of films on here, listed here, that I may have seen. Not, I don't necessarily remember seeing them uh, at the time, so I'm not sure if I have or not. Uh, some of those, like Santa Claus is Coming to Town, The Little Drummer Boy, uh, Rudolph's Shiny New Year, Jack Frost. I'm not certain that I've seen some of these, but I kind of remember the, doing that, thinking, remember it. But the movie I chose is from 1979, directed by Rankin and Bass, and that's Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July. Uh, it's a 100-minute film, so it's quite long compared to some of the other ones, and features both of the main characters. I chose it because it has the best... Uh, it has the best cast of any of the movies I know I haven't seen, and will have the biggest effect on the spreadsheet because of it. Uh, featuring the voice talents of Mickey Rooney and Shelley Winters, among others. Uh, Paul Frees as well. And the fact that it combines Rudolph and Frosty is enticing, but it's also Christmas in July, which is something I don't really get or understand. So, uh, you know, I don't know. It has something to do with an evil wizard named Winterbolt, which sounds ridiculous. I don't know if this is based on anything, but it sounds bad. 
but most of these plots sound bad for these movies, so we'll see how that goes. That's Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July, number 13. Number 14, a Christmas film made before 1930. Uh, in parentheses, short films, fine. And this one is submitted by Sailor Deny as well. The same person who submitted a Cary Grant film. And this one, I think a lot of people came up with the same answer for this one. Uh, and it's a 1913 film from Russia, directed by Vladislav Sterowitz, called The Insects Christmas. Uh, it's a short film, only about seven minutes long. It's silent, it's stop motion, and it's about a Father Christmas ornament that creates a tree for the insects and invites them all to celebrate. It's very short, very sweet, so I'm glad to add it to my list. It'll make doing this month's hunt that much easier. I really don't know anything about it, uh, but I know that it's, uh, I found it like on a streaming service. So, like, it'll be really easy to watch. And I like early movies. Uh, and, in fact, I've already seen a movie from Vladislav Starowitz, uh, which is The Tale of the Fox from 1937, another animated movie that I actually really like. So I'm hopeful that this can be, you know, good, decent, at least. Uh, I mean, it's a short film, so low bar, but... I hope it'll be fun. I hope it'll be cute and enjoyable. Uh, it has an average rating of 3.4 right now, which is fairly good. Uh, and that's The Insects Christmas, which is number 14. Task number 15. Uh, watch a Christmas movie released prior to 1960. Uh, submitted by Letterboxd user Map755. I told you, the Christmas movies keep coming. Uh, this one... Uh, you know, I, I ended up going with a film that has some recognizable names in it, uh, notably Gene Kelly, among others. Uh, it is a film from 1944, uh, and that is Christmas Holiday, directed by, directed by Robert Siodmak, Sidmak, Sodmak, uh, and, uh, starring, besides Gene Kelly, Richard Worf, uh, Dean Herons, and Deanna Durbin, uh, among others. And this is along the more along the lines of It's a Wonderful Life, as far as Christmas movies go. It's not peppy and happy. It's more of a sad drama. Because we all love those at Christmas time. And Gene Kelly as kind of the villain of the movie. So... I've never seen him in a villainous and or, or antagonistic role that I can think of. So that will be interesting to note and see if uh, that's doable for him. Uh, I, I think it is. I mean, he's a good actor, but I haven't seen it from him yet. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that turns out. And, you know, this is a an underseen film <laughs> on Letterboxd. Less than 300 people have seen it. Uh, but it has an average rating of 3.2, which is fairly average. So we'll see. I, I'm i not expecting a lot, but I'm, I'm not really taking a lot of presumptions into this movie. I think it will probably be fine. I expect fine. 
That's Christmas holiday number 15. We're halfway there, halfway there. Task number 16 is a holiday-themed movie released prior to 1990. This one does not have a uh, submitted by credit either. And, I mean, these, these particular couple of tasks have just kind of slowly become more and more inclusive as they've gone along. And so yet, this one was actually one of the more obscure picks on my whole list. And uh, it's a 1964 film uh, picked because of the director and uh, one of the actor and a couple of the actors in it. Uh, so directed by Joseph L. Mankiewicz, who I have seen Guys and Dolls from. Uh, Suddenly last summer. Sleuth and All About Eve. So he he has a pretty strong resume already. Uh, And this is A Carol for Another Christmas. So it is another Christmas Carol adaptation. Uh, This particular one um, focuses more on politics than it does uh, on just like personal issues. And uh, it stars quite a few big names at the time. Robert Shaw, Peter Sellers, Britt Eklund, uh, Eve Marie, Eva Marie Saint, uh, Sterling Hayden. A pretty strong cast overall. But it, I, it's something about the poster. It just looks really low quality to me. It is originally produced as a drama on television. So perhaps that's why uh, it might not have had kind of budget that a movie like this needs but maybe that's why it ended up being uh, altered from the original story and more about politics than the actual you know than about the guy and 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 how it works Uh, so interesting to see what this particular take on a christmas carol ends up being uh it's it's sort of um it's gonna be interesting to like just look at all these different versions of a christmas carol because you're kind of used to, you know, I think for me, the most familiar version is the the Disney version, like the Mickey, Mickey Mouse version with Scrooge McDuck. So it's going to be tough to kind of, I doubt any of these versions are going to kind of wrench that one out of its permanent place in my head. But that's, I mean, that's what's needed, I guess, for these films to kind of leave a lasting impression on me. So that's A Carol for Another Christmas, number 16. Task number 17, an Al Pacino film that isn't set in New York. This is submitted by letterboxed user Pakinho, uh, P-A-C-I-N-H-O-E. So I actually I struggled with this a lot more than I thought I was going to. I've seen quite a handful of Pacino films. Uh, I'm currently... Oh, I clicked on the wrong thing there. I'm currently at 24 as it stands, and uh, most of the more popular, like most of the pop- most popular ones I haven't seen are based in New York, and some of them I couldn't determine, and I wanted to have a pretty definite uh, result here. And so the film I ended up picking uh, is presumably pronounced uh, Simone from 2002, but. Uh, displayed as S-1-M-0-N-E. Uh, as I said, direct, uh, from 2002, directed by Andrew Nichol. 
who has also directed films in time good kill gattaca lord of war and the host so not really the best resume i mean i think gattaca is good but the others are, are not really my speed and this one stars pacino rachel roberts katherine keener evan rachel wood winona ryder jason schwartzman elias Cotius, uh, among others it has an average film rating or has an average rating on letterboxd of 2.5 so that's pretty low and the premise is that uh a director or a producer rather creates an actress that is completely digital which sounds like there was that one disney movie where they created uh a girl for a band that was completely like a hologram i forget what the name of that disney movie was but this is i don't know and then and the main this may have preceded it I'm, I'm not sure so i don't know I, I don't know i don't know that this can really i don't know it, it, low rate low average rating and and kind of a silly premise uh there's definitely there's definitely a kernel of of intrigue here in you know how real how do you define what real is you know when we we create people like peter mullen uh or or that's probably that's not the right name at all um what they did in in rogue one with uh i can't think of his name now shoot rogue one cgi tarkin what they did with tarkin and leia in rogue one you know is that you know is that really acting in those characters and you know if the process involves like motion capture uh you know that's one thing but if it's if it's purely cgi if it's purely just a computer creating an image uh you know it's it's like it's just voice work and if it's not even like if it's the computer creating the voice then where's the acting start and the effects begin like that's an interesting line and and uh, determination to make and uh based on the ratings in this movie it feels like it won't get to that point but i'd be interested to see if it tries to breach that aspect or if it kind of ends up a little more shallow a little more uh, superficial than all of that so that's simone from 2002 for number 17 number 18 task number 18 is watch a film starring or featuring christopher lee submitted by letterbox user senator underscore geary and this one was i thought gonna be tough because i know that uh, christopher lee has been in a ton of movies uh on letterboxd alone he has approximately 248 credits which is huge I've only seen 22. Like, that's a pitiful by comparison. So I was scrolling through and looking at the more popular ones of his I haven't seen. Wicker Man, Gremlins 2, Dracula, Man with the Golden Gun, Last Unicorn, etc. Uh, you know, all definitely, like, very popular films in their own rights. But the one I picked uh, had a secondary reason, which is the fact that it was directed by Spielberg. And it's one of the very last Spielberg films I haven't seen and that is 1941 
1941 from uh, directed by Spielberg released in 1979 starring among others Dan Aykroyd Ned Beatty John Belushi Christopher Lee Lorraine Gary Murray Hamilton uh, and and Toshiro Mifune Toshiro Mifune War Notes John Candy Nancy Allen uh, it's a huge cast and it's a sprawling comedy sort of thing about Pearl Harbor and the sort of panic that ensued in California post Pearl Harbor. But it's a comedy, a, a war comedy, and it's really kind of out of Spielberg's wheelhouse. And, you know, I remember watching the Spielberg documentary. He doesn't go too into detail about 1941, but he does bring it up occasionally. And, you know, it was kind of a, a pet project of his. It was something that he really wanted to do. Uh, and what and felt like he had the capacity to do and it just hasn't been met with the same sort of admiration and uh, acclaim that pretty much everything else he's done has and here even on letterboxd it has a 2.7 average rating most of the reviews uh, are are very not so great that i'm looking through and you know, if it really is low-tier Spielberg, uh, that's still not the worst-case scenario. I, you know, even bad Spielberg has its merits, but it's kind of a Altman film about, I don't know, it just, it all, not that I don't think this idea couldn't be good, it just, it all kind of feels like it's being put together improperly, in a sense, and I don't know if that really makes sense, but that's just the way it seems. Uh, I'm interested. I, it's definitely kind of like a cinematic artifact that I'm interested to kind of dust off and uncover and see how it feels and how it plays with me today, given almost 40 years of time has passed since 1979 and, you know, 75 years have passed since 1941. So it's, it's, had plenty of time to age, and I'll, I, I'm curious to know how, how it really does, if it does at all. So that's 1941, uh, task number 18. Task number 19, a film that features in Tarantino's top 20 grindhouse movies, and there is a requisite list provided for us here. And uh, other than... There are a couple in here I've definitely, you know, I'm very familiar with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think we've all seen um, Halloween, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead. So a lot of kind of classics. But there's some here I definitely hadn't even heard of. Coffee, uh, The Mac, Last House on the Left, Wipeout. Um, I'll be honest, I didn't even get past like the 10th one because... I had already like picked the one I was going to do early on, but you've got Suspiria, The Hammer of the God, The Pom-Pom Girls, The Savage Seven. But the movie I ended up going with is number nine on his list. And I don't know if these are ranked or just listed, uh, but it's uh, The Girl from Starship Venus. The Girl from Starship Venus, uh, released in 1975, uh, directed by Derek Ford who I haven't seen anything from, starring a bunch of people I don't recognize. And 
the general plot is a young uh, Venusian girl lands on Earth to explore our planet and research sex on Earth. Um, pretty typical kind of grindhouse plot uh, sci-fi space exploration space who sexploration plot as the poster explains and i have had not a ton but very minor experiences with sort of grindhouse movies i'm i'm a really not a big fan of texas chainsaw massacre i think that movie is quite bad and it's kind of baffling to me why some of these movies are particularly enjoyable uh on the other hand like i like halloween i think halloween's pretty good and i think there's merit to like dawn of the dead and the living dead movies so if this movie kind of is more in that territory i can see definitely enjoying it but i think the for the most part i go into kind of a grindhouse movie and my expectations are very very low and so I, i don't really have much hope or or faith that this movie is going to kind of end that streak at all you know i think it's mostly just an excuse for this movie to like parade around a naked to semi-naked woman and that doesn't seem worthwhile to me as a movie so not really excited for this one girl from starship venus 1975 task number 19 Task number 20, a movie with a female editor, uh, submitted by Letterboxd user Believing in Rose, and I believe I forgot to mention this, but task number 19 was submitted by Letterboxd user Coles84. So number 20, female editor. Uh, I think I just kind of googled female editor, came up with like a random list, or actually I looked at it on Letterboxd actually, and there was a big long list of movies, and I picked... One of the more popular ones I hadn't seen. Uh, This is a film from 2015, directed by Ben Wheatley, and that is High Rise, uh, starring Tom Hiddleston, Sienna Miller, Jeremy Irons, and Luke Evans, among others. Uh, This is kind of a well-reviewed movie that came out a couple years ago. I hesitate to say well-reviewed because I think the majority of people don't really like it, but a lot of critics were big fans of this movie, so it's kind of a grab bag, really. It kind of depends on your cinematic sensibilities. And it doesn't really depend on whether or not you enjoy Ben Wheatley, because this this will be... It, it, it doesn't seem... I've, I've listened to people talk about it, and they describe it as very different from any of the other movies he's made. It's It's a lot more... What was the word? I think they I think they described it as more chaotic, uh, and based on the images, it I don't get that sense exactly from the pictures. But uh, you know, if they gave it all away, that wouldn't be very fun. Uh, it has a pretty strong cast, also featuring Elizabeth Moss uh, and a few others. So that's pretty exciting, and. I've heard like great things about the technical aspects of this film, the way it looks, the way it feels, the way it's presented, um, are supposed to be pretty fin- pretty great, and that's exciting on its own, on its own right. So I, there's a level of me, you know, because I really enjoyed Free Fire. I think Free Fire is pretty good, but I just recently watched Kill List, and I was not a fan of that. So 
hopefully this feels more like free fire but i i don't know i get the sense it'll it might fall somewhere in the middle ultimately i'll we'll see it's it's a movie i've been interested in watching for quite some time now but just never really made the move to watch it and so finally i'm gonna force myself to do that and hopefully i'm rewarded for that uh decision so we'll see that's high rise directed by ben wheatley 2015 task number 20. number 21 a movie with a minimalist poster submitted by letterboxd user uh yousef felnahas i don't know where those letters separate into multiple names but it's uh, spelled Y-O-U-S-S-E-F-E-L-N-A-H-A-S. If I mispronounced your name, I apologize. So again, this was something I searched Letterboxd for a list of minimalist posters. I found one of the more popular ones. Uh, There are quite a a lot of really good ones. And I picked a movie, very well regarded. Um, I always kind of try to pick some sort of staples in cinematic film that a lot of people revere uh, because i want to make sure that not everything i'm picking is like lowly lowly rated uh so this is a 1981 film directed by oh man i'm gonna butcher this so bad uh andrej zalowski a-n-d-r-z-e-j i'm not sure how you would pronounce that Uh, but he's a polish director i haven't seen any of his films and a possession is a film I, i've heard about a lot i've heard its name it, it's it's got a 4.1 average rating on letterboxd it stars uh, isabel ajani and sam neil sam neil of jurassic park so that's a big thing uh the plot seem uh, a young woman left her family for an unspecified reason the husband determines to find out the truth and starts following his wife i'm not going to read past that and so uh, i mean this is like there's just some movies where if the pedigree is big enough it doesn't really matter what the movie's about it doesn't matter who's behind the camera it doesn't matter who's in front of the camera it doesn't matter what the plot is you're interested in the movie if it's received enough acclaim, if it's re- if it's talked about enough, if it's used in conversation of long enough, then you don't think about anything else. You're just like, oh, Possession. That's a movie I need to see. And I've had this on my list for quite some time. And, you know, but like I have hundreds of movies that have been on my list for quite some time. So, you know, some of them just kind of slip through the cracks after a while. And this is one of those movies. And... I'm re- this is one of the ones I'm really looking forward to. This is one of the ones I kind of expect to be at the top of the list at the end of the month. We'll see. Uh, but I'm very, very uh, excited for this movie. A little t- uh, trepidatious. Uh, it might be... I don't know. It looks very daunting. I don't know if that's the minimalist poster, but it, it looks like a kind of a challenging and... and intense movie so that's exciting but a little daunting at the same time Uh, so possession from 1981 is film task number 21 number 22 
a movie about love between a human and something non-human, uh, submitted by Letterbox user Jules Debois. Uh, Jules, J-U-L-E-S, D-E-S-B-O-I-S. Uh, there's a lot of these movies, and I think I found another letterbox list. Uh, a lot of letterbox lists used in, in this month, and there's been, like, you know, Lars and the Real Girl, movies on those lines. There have been a lot of movies of this vein. Uh, you know, just look at, you know, Shape of Waters coming out, and I would have picked that, but I wasn't sure that that was even going to be possible for me to see before the end of the month, depending on the release pattern. So I picked an older movie from 1984, directed by Ron Howard, uh, called Splash, starring Tom Hanks, Daryl Hannah, Eugene Levy, John Candy, among others. And it's about a human, Tom Hanks, who falls in love with a mermaid, played by Daryl Hannah. Uh, this is not an uncommon scenario, you know, Little Mermaid, it's happened before, it'll happen again. Uh, just, you know, recently I went and saw the uh, saw Lore, which is another mermaid human type of movie. So this is a recurring kind of a thing. And Splash is a movie that, even if you haven't seen it, you're sort of aware of it in vague sensibilities, uh, you know, as a Tom Hanks movie when he was much younger. Uh, I think it's mostly derided at this stage of the game for kind of being ridiculous and silly and maybe it'll be like that I think Ron Howard tends toward kind of like the silly tends towards silliness far too often um I think my favorite film of his well to my two favorite films of his are Rush and Frost 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 slash Nixon and I think he does a good job in those two movies of kind of avoiding the trappings of being overly sentimental so I don't I don't think he'll be able to avoid that here but if, if it, I mean he's generally a good director I, I'm not upset by the fact that he uh, took over for the uh, Han Solo movie I think he'll be just fine on that but in short I, I think that for the most part Splash seems like it'll be more of a cultural artifact something that i'm gonna look at and be like wow this was certainly the 80s and things were different then uh so not not something i'm like interested in because i think it's gonna be good but more interested because in, like i like seeing tom hanks when he was younger uh, it's so interesting to me to watch him act when he was younger because you can see just how good he was then and how much better he's become over time and like that's fascinating that's so curious and I like Daryl Hannah I think Daryl Hannah is good too and Eugene Levy is an interesting third build person in this movie I don't know what his role is but I I, I think he's kind of been really ever since American Pie he's kind of become this the butt of the joke in movies or you know he's just not really important you know he's like a very minor character so if he has a prominent role in this, I'll be interested to see like him getting the spotlight for once and actually kind of taking charge of, of a scene, maybe. I don't know. Um, maybe he's not playing a weird, creepy dad-type figure. 
uh, hopefully. We'll see. So Splash, 1984, Ron Howard, task number 22. Number 23, a non-European film that won the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film. This is my kind of task. Love this. So pretty much went down the list there, and I picked a more recent film, and one I really don't know anything about. Uh, it's from uh, Japan, Japanese foreign language film winner. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure which year the film won, but the film itself was released uh, in 2008, uh, directed by Yojiro Takeda, and that's uh, the film Departures, starring Masahiro Motoki and Tsutomu Yamazaki. It deals with Daigo, a cellist, who is laid off from the orchestra he plays in and moves back to his hometown uh, with his wife. And drama ensues. Uh, I don't have never heard of it until I looked at this list. I even, you know, I'm, I'm sure I've like glossed through it at some point, like just looking at old uh, Academy Awards lists and things along those lines, but beyond that, I've never really took taken the chance to look at this movie. I didn't know what it was about when I picked it. I just, you know, Departures, Japan, satisfies the criteria. So, whether or not I like it, uh, it does have a 3.9 average rating on Letterboxd, so that's pretty good indication that it'll be a decent movie. But, with one way or the other, it's very important for me, as it is an Oscar-winning movie uh, of Best Foreign Language Feature, and that's a big accomplishment. So I'm excited to see that, and hopefully it will be good. I I, uh, I don't think I've seen any other films. No, I haven't seen any of Yojiro Takeda's films, so this will be my first introduction to his direction. Uh, as well as probably all the actors in it. I don't think I know. I don't recognize any of their names offhand. So that's number 24, Departures, from 2008. Or number 23, I'm sorry, number 23, Departures. Number 24, the task is watch a film that won the Oscar for Best Lead Actress, submitted by Letterboxd user Christian Alec 94 uh, and... Again, I forgot, number 23 was submitted by Letterboxd user DMutantX. Uh, so Oscar for Best Lead Actress, that is a very small list. Uh, I actually have taken the time to watch, all, I've been actually trying to watch all of these movies in the last month or so. I'm down to, I think, four, maybe five total that I haven't seen. So the options were limited, and I picked the one I was least interested in watching, so that this would kind of force me to watch it. It turns out to be the very first Oscar-winning film for Best Actress uh, from 1927, directed by Frank Borzage. Uh, I don't know if that's how it's pronounced. No, he's an American. Borzage? Mm, I'm not sure. Uh, and that is Seventh Heaven, uh, starring Janet Gaynor, the Best Actress winner, Charles Farrell, Gladys Brockwell, and David Butler, among others. So a lot of, I don't know, I guess there's some sort of pedigree to this film. It is the first film to win Best Actress, uh, Janet Gaynor being that person. Uh, the plot revolves around a, a dejected Parisian sewer worker uh, 
who feels his prayers have been answered when he falls in love with a street waif. So the plot synopsis makes this movie feel more about the male lead than the female lead. But, you know, what are you going to do? That's that's how movies used to be. So, again, great... Ca- <laughs> I love tasks like this because they're very beneficial to the spreadsheet. And this one in particular helps me complete a... a a category of films that I was already in the process of completing. This lets me kind of pump through the want least uh, least desirable film of the list. Uh, it is a, I believe it is a silent film. And to the best of my knowledge, yes, it is silent film. Uh, and I, I, as much as I respect silent films and what they've accomplished back in the day, they're just very difficult to watch and, and find the uh, resolution and determination and focus to keep my attention. So that's going to be my biggest hurdle in this movie, but it's one of the, one of the silent films that I've heard is supposed to be quite good. So I will give it that benefit of the doubt and go in with an open heart and open mind. So that's seventh heaven for 1927 task number 24. Task number 25, a film that you predict is going to get nominated for an Oscar in 2018, submitted by Letterboxd user Chrissy B. That's an interesting task. Uh, I could kind of just predict anything and kind of get away with this one, but I tried to be more rational and reasonable. There are quite a a handful of films uh, I think are going to get nominated in 2018. I've seen all the ones that are out already. So that's kind of problematic. So I looked at what was coming out this month that I was guaranteed to go see. Uh, so, you know, Shape of Water, Call Me By Your Name, The Post. Um, I wasn't 100% certain certain I would be able to see those movies by the end of this month. I don't know exactly the release patterns. I wasn't sure how wide The Disaster Artist was going to uh, expand at the time. I know now that I'll be able to see it, but I wasn't sure then. So the movie I ended up picking, rather than going for above-the-line categories like picture, director, actors, uh, I went for some below-the-line stuff, technical aspects, and chose Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Pretty straightforward. I'm guaranteed to see this this month, uh, once if not two or three times for sure. Uh, it's going to be... I'm, I'm incredibly excited. I haven't watched any of the trailers for the movie. I don't know much or anything about the plot. I know very little about the casting for this film. And I haven't... I've been trying to avoid as much information about it as possible. So I can go in as blind as I can. So I, even now, like I don't really know anything about it. It comes out in a week. And I don't think I'll be able to see it opening night. I'm looking to go see it on Saturday or Sunday earlier in the day, but it's that's to be determined if if that's possible. Uh, I, I'm potentially planning a vacation around that time, so we'll see if that's what happens or not. Uh, either way, even if I'm on vacation, I'll still try to find the time to watch the movie. But it'll be it'd be easier if I wasn't on vacation, but. Odds are I will be, so I'll have to cross that bridge at some point. But that being said, I mean, it's a Star Wars movie. 
I'm, I don't need to tell you guys anything else about it because you're all probably going to go see it anyway. So that's number, task number 25. Task number 26. A film produced in Hong Kong, directed by John Woo. Submitted by Letterboxd user Cyman, C-Y-M-A-N. A lot of films um, that John Woo's directed, uh, not, as me- not all of them have been produced in Hong Kong, but the most popular one that I hadn't seen was. Uh, so I have seen, I'm a big fan of Face Off. Uh, I think Mission Impossible 2 is bad to okay. I think the same thing about Paycheck. But the most popular film of his I haven't seen uh, is Hard Boiled, starring Chow Yun-Fat and I think Tony Chung. Let me pull it up. Uh, yeah, no, Tony Long, Leung, Long. My mistake. Uh, this is a 1992 film and stars Yun Fat and, and, and Leung, among others. Uh, it is widely regarded as one of the best action movies of all time, which is a shocking uh, assertion. Uh, you know, it's contending with films like Die Hard, Mad Max Fury Road, uh, to name a few. And that is a pretty pretty high bar I'd be very impressed if it reached that level I think the majority of Chinese movies that are kind of serious and straightforward action movies I tend to kind of shirk away from whereas the less self-important ones uh, such as uh, Stephen Chow's films like Kung Fu Hustle, Shaolin Soccer. I'm I'm super super big and and I'm such a huge fan of those movies. I think those are great. I like I generally just really like Stephen Chow's movies, um, but also like The Good, The Bad, and The Weird. I think is also I think that's that's Chinese or Korean. Ah uh, shit, I I don't want to show my hand how little I can differentiate dif- uh, how little I can differentiate between the Asian films. I just, I'm not so experienced in their styles to be able to pick it out based on the movies themselves. Uh, if it is Chinese, I, then my reason, then what I was going to say is that it's kind of like a lighter touch to the, the spaghetti Western movie. And for that, it like, it earns brownie points from me. Whereas... Uh, I can't think of a good example of a straightforward kind of action movie from China offhand. But John Woo in particular, as a director, I'm generally fine with. Uh, Face Off is the only good movie of his I, I like. The others I'm, I think are just okay. But as I said, like I haven't seen any of his movies from Hong Kong. I've only seen his movies from America. So there's kind of a disparity there so we'll see I, I, I highly doubt that I'm going to rank it as high as like a Die Hard or something but hopefully I enjoy it hopefully it's good hopefully the violence and then the action scenes are interesting and uh, can hold my attention so Hard Boiled from 1992 directed by John Woo that is task number 26 Five to go, five more. Task number 27 is a non-Christmas movie 
set around Christmas. Submitted by Letterboxd user Blue Lavender. Uh, there's a lot of movies that do this, and usually, but like usually, it's difficult to think of them because you don't actually expect them. Uh, I, I would say the best one to point to is previously mentioned Die Hard. It isn't really a Christmas movie, but it certainly takes place during Christmas. And there are, there is a list of, I think a list on Letterboxd that kind of hits this exact topic. And the movie I ended up picking is a 1998 film directed by John Frankenheimer Schmitz. No, just Frankenheimer, who's directed the original Manchurian Candidate from 1962, uh, which I think is great, as well as The Island of Dr. Moreau from 1996, which I think is trash. And so this is kind of a coin flip, really. It stars Robert De Niro, Jean Reno, Natasha Mecklehone, Stellan Skarsgård, Sean Bean, Jonathan Price, among others. So a pretty solid cast, all things told. Uh, it has a 3.4 on Letterboxd, which is fairly positive, but not overwhelmingly so. And it deals with uh, Irish terrorists and the Russian mob, uh, just criminals in general, uh, as well as a squad of mercenaries. And that sounds pretty cool. That sounds pretty fun. Sounds like a lot of things happening, a lot of craziness, a lot of... Um, backstabbing and whatnot so that does sound intriguing uh you know 90 late 90s de niro isn't exactly like peak de niro by any stretch so it'll be interesting to see if he's more towards his his 80s self his 70s and 80s self than he is to his 2000s and 2010s self in this movie hopefully it's the former but you know, Jean Renault, Stellan Skarsgård, I'm big fans of those guys. Uh, Sean Bean, Jonathan Price, I like both of them as well. Uh, both um, veterans of Game of Thrones, as it turns out. So hopefully this cast can sort of cobble together a, a very exciting and, and dramatic action movie with enough twists and turns to keep me entertained. Uh, so 1998's Ronin is number 27. Number 28 an Egyptian film, submitted by Letterboxd user Youssef Fel Nahas, again. Again, I don't know where that one string of letters separates to become two names, uh, but this is pretty simple, Egyptian film. There aren't a lot of prominent ones. Uh, very few of them have made an impact outside of Egypt, or at least in the United States. Uh, but one of the bigger ones, uh, one that I was able to actually find online... Uh, so that I'll be able to watch it easily, is Cairo Station from 1958, directed by Youssef Shaheen. Shaheen? Shaheen? Uh, who, I haven't seen any films of his, or theirs. And it stars people I don't know, including the director himself, Youssef Shaheen. Shaheen. And... It's about uh, Kanawi, a physically challenged peddler who makes his living selling newspapers in the central Cairo train station. And he is obsessed with an attractive young woman who sells drinks. And it's about their potential relationship, uh, but she's in love with somebody else who's another person and, you know, love triangle shenanigans. Uh, 
Uh, this is a well-regarded film. 3.8 on Letterboxd is nothing to scoff at. Uh, 1.1 thousand people have seen it. 1.1 thousand. 1,100 people have logged this on Letterboxd, uh, which is a pretty good number for a film like this old, for sure. And it's relatively short. It's only 77 minutes, so it won't feel like exerting too much time and effort into a film that I know is going to be in a foreign language with subtitles and, you know, I, I sometimes balk at, like, really long run times in foreign films. I'm curious, like, I haven't, don't think I've ever seen an Egyptian film before. Uh, I've certainly seen films that take place in Egypt, but that's not the same thing at all. And I'll be curious, I'll be trying to notice, like, what if anything, kind of sets this film up to be Egyptian, you know, what inherently makes it Egyptian. And I don't know if there's necessarily one thing or multiple things, but I'll have my eyes open for that. And if I can pick anything out, I'll try to remember to mark it down so that I can bring it up at the in the review episode later this month. So that's Cairo Station, 1958, an Egyptian film, task number 28. Task number 29, a bizarre Christmas movie. For example, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, submitted by Letterboxd user Addicted to DVD. Uh, funny, because I've seen Santa Claus Conquers the Martians fair, relatively recently, within the last couple of months, and that's, ex I don't know, that movie's absolutely shit. So this movie that I'm going to pick for this task I wanted it to not be shit. Uh, I don't mind it being completely absurd, but I just didn't want it to be, like, absolute, absolute, absolute trash. And so I ended up finding a film, which I think a lot of people ended up picking for this task, which is 20, 2010's Rare Exports, uh, also titled Rare Exports, colon, A Christmas Tale. Directed by Homari Halander, Jalmari Halander, I haven't seen any of his films before, and uh, starring a lot of names I don't recognize. But the tagline is, he knows if you've been naughty, he knows if you've been nice, and he doesn't give a shit. Uh, so the premise, I'm gonna let me read this synopsis for you. It's kind of long, but it's pretty fascinating. It's the eve of Christmas in northern Finland, and an archaeological dig has just unearthed the real Santa Claus but this particular Santa isn't the one you want coming to town. When all the local children begin disappearing, mysteriously disappearing, young Pitari and his father Rauno, a reindeer hunter by trade, because of course, capture the mythological being and attempt to sell Santa to the misguided leader of the multinational corporation sponsoring the dig. Uh, it goes on from there, but it, that might be a little too much detail. I think I'll leave it that, at that, but it also involves Santa's elves, uh, and it's it's kind of bizarre. Uh, this describes they describe it as a fantastically bizarre polemic on modern day morality. Whatever the case, good or bad, it sounds like a fascinating watch. I'm super excited to see the way they portray Santa and what he ends up looking like if he's like a CG monster or just kind of like a guy that looks weird. I don't know how they're going to show that. And, I mean, this has an average rating of 3.2, so it's not 
great necessarily, but it should be entertaining to say the least. It's from 2010, so it's fairly recent, so it should have good effects, uh, hopefully. And it's from, I guess it's Finnish, if it takes place in Finland. And I like, you know, films from like fin Finland, Sweden, that kind of area of the world. I think they're generally pretty interesting and fascinating, and this seems to be certainly in that realm. So that's Rare Exports, a bizarre Christmas film, number 29. Task number 30. Watch an Xmas movie or an X-Men movie. Uh, I like this task. It does not list anybody that submitted it. And so it's pretty open-ended. I've seen all the X-Men movies, so that's not an option for me. Well, I guess that's not probably completely accurate. I've seen all the live-action Fox X-Men movies, so in that respect, I've seen them all. I'm sure they're like animated ones or something that I haven't seen, but I went with one of the higher-rated uh, Christmas films ever, which is The Gold Rush from 1925, directed by Charlie Chaplin. It falls into the same Genre, uh, grouping as like possession you know it's well-regarded film something that I've had my, on my list for a while that I wanted to uh, check out and finally finding a good opportunity to do that I'm a big fan of Charlie Chaplin I recently watched uh, which one was it the kid for uh, Zach's top 300 so I'm really looking forward to the gold rush and with a 4.1 average rating on Letterboxd, you know, I'm, I'm expecting to think if it's not amazing, it's probably pretty good. <laughs> and, you know, Charlie Chaplin is one of the best. So there's really not much more to it than that. It's, it's fairly straightforward. The Gold Rush, Charlie Chaplin. Let's do it. That's number 30. And finally, the final task this month is... Number 31, a film which takes place on New Year's Eve. Uh, very fitting. I like this task and its positioning in the list. Submitted by Letterboxd user Simon, uh, who, who submitted the Hong Kong film directed by John Woo. And I think I, I think it was a Letterboxd list that I found for this. Uh, there weren't a lot of great options that I hadn't seen. Uh, you know, obviously you've got, like, Ghostbusters 2, uh, I think it's 2, right, and and such, but the movie I ended up on is a 1989 film directed by Steve Cloves, with a K, uh, also known for pretty much nothing else. Uh, the only film he's ever credited with on Letterboxd is Flesh and Bone from 1993, but this film is The Fabulous Baker Boys. Starring Jeff Bridges, Michelle Pfeiffer, Bo Bridges, uh, and among others, it is uh, nominated for four Academy Awards, um, including Best Lead Actress for Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, Best Score for Dave Grusin. And uh, Bridges, the Bridges brothers, play real brothers in the movie. They are professional musicians. And the tag is, for 31 years, it's been just the fab fabulous Baker Boys. But times change. So 
seems like a movie where two brothers, great relationship, enter Michelle Pfeiffer, rivalry ensues, pandemonium, panic, etc., etc., etc. Seems pretty rote, straightforward kind of a movie. Uh, it did get some Academy love, so maybe there's a little bit more to it than that. I hope so. And I'm a fan of Jeff Bridges. I don't really like Bo Bridges that much. And, I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer's great. So that is an exciting pairing of people. Uh, it's probably going to be more of a three-headed monster of a, of a thing than, like... I doubt, like, I don't think it's going to be the case where, like, Jeff Bridges gets 75% of the screen time and Bo Bridges gets 25 It's probably going to be pretty 50-50 with Michelle Pfeiffer. And that's sort of disheartening. Uh, you know, I don't want to see that much Bo Bridges, but I guess uh, I'll suffer because four Academy Award nominations is a big deal for my spreadsheet. And that's... Uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. It's good. It's a good solid end to the list. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I would say I'd probably try to watch this one last, but that's unlikely. Uh, it probably will end up being... Well, I, I, it probably won't be Star Wars, this last movie. I kind of think that just because it's the last one. It's the only one I have that's not even available to see, but that's probably not true either. Uh, so... That's the hit. That's number 31, The Fabulous Baker Boys. Those are all the tasks for this month. A lot of movies. Uh, should be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to getting through all these guys and, and making another scavenger hunt list to add to not only my spreadsheet, uh, but also the Circle of Film website. You know, it's been a while since I've been able to add something to it. And this will be a good addition uh, to kind of add some more superlatives and get some more some more notable films out there uh, there's a lot of big movies on this list all you know it's you know you got a best picture winner you can't take it with you the grips of wrath is a pretty recognizable film uh, you've got charlie chaplin you've got hard-boiled uh, seventh heaven for janet gaynor departures best foreign film uh, possession uh, splash these are some pretty notable films that uh, grace this list, so I'm appreciative of that, as well as a lot of sort of subtle, lesser-known movies, uh, from The Insect's Christmas to 2046, uh, None But the Lonely Heart, um, Blade of the Immortal. Like, this is a pretty eclectic selection of films, and that's all due to the tasks. So, good job on the community. Uh, I think they've always, I think they've done a great job both times that they've had the fate of the scavenger hunt in their hands and i'm looking forward to watching all these guys so that's the episode uh that's about it thank you so much for listening uh one bit of one note so we're here at the end so uh i don't know you know i i know who's uh, a patron a patron for my show but if you're a patron on a patron on anybody's patreon account uh, you may have gotten an email or it may still be on its way to you regarding changes to how they do their pricing, kind of. And so, best as I understand it, right now you pay a flat rate of exactly what you're supposed to pay. So, let's, for example, let's say $10. And Patreon takes out a percentage of that to pay for fees and 
as their own sort of commission and gives the rest to the artist. Uh, the new rate will actually charge you more as the patron, uh, the, but the artist will also get more, but then also Patreon will receive more money as well. So everyone benefits more and you, the patron, lose. And I think that's real shitty. I'm not, uh, you know, I don't have a huge number of patrons. In fact, I have one. So like, I'm not, not like this is a huge impact on me, but in the potential future where like this is something that's more lucrative than $1 a month, I don't want to be unfair to the people who watch the show and or listen to the show and then contribute to it. So, uh, as of right now, I would say don't subscribe to the Patreon account because I'm currently going to be looking for other options to see if there's something better that's more fair to everyone. And uh, when I figure that out, I will update you guys and let you guys know what that is. So that's that's where we're at for that. Uh, so ignoring that aspect, if you'd like to get in contact with me, uh, two ways you can do that. You can email me at circleoffilm at gmail.com or you can now contact me on Twitter, uh, just at circleoffilm. And if you would like to uh, check out more of the episodes, check out more information about myself, about the spreadsheet I use, about the films I've seen, about the Circle of Film Awards and all that kind of stuff, head over to circleoffilm.com. You'll find a ton of that information over there uh, and much more. And uh, that's going to be it. So thank you again for listening. And as always, have a week.